Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and we're at episode 544. We're all not just handsome, we're narcissist handsome. <laughs> I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. We're not How's really. Going, we're not really. <laughs> Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure. Oh, I am. Speak for yourself, Glenn. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we are so very pretty. I am the humble one of the bunch, I guess, though. So. See, there you go. Did you guys do anything this week? Comes from his breakdancing background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a couple yeah. movies. Oh, what'd you see? I watched Prey on Hulu. That's the uh, Predator movie with the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. It was good. I really liked it. I was really impressed by it. I mean, it's kind of your standard fare as far as Predator stuff goes, but it was cool seeing him kind of work up the food chain and then her figuring out how to best defeat him. Uh, really, really well done. I kind of wish... I know they did a Comanche dub, but I kind of wish they had actually filmed it in Comanche so that it was a bit more authentic. But other than that, I thought it was really good. Definitely worth watching, even if you're only somewhat interested in Predator stuff. And meaning, then the other thing I watched... I've been meaning oh, to check sorry, that, No, that's all right. I was just saying, I've been meaning to check that out, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. It's definitely worth b- bumping up on your list. It's really well done. Okay. Really well done. Mm-hmm. What was the other thing you watched? Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Mm, what'd you think? It was okay. Mm. It wasn't great. It kind of remembered halfway through, oh yeah, this is supposed to be a Jurassic Park film. <laughs> And that's when it kind of got good, but then it also felt so derivative of everything that had come before Mm. that it wasn't as interesting. Did you ever watch the extended cut? No, I did not. I watched it on Amazon Prime. I understand. I haven't watched the extended cut yet either, and I kind of felt the same way about it. It was, you know, it's an okay monster movie, but it's not a very good Jurassic Park movie. Um, But I understand the extended cut apparently makes a world of difference. There's something like 16 extra minutes Put back into it which you know it's already a long movie so i just haven't yes. worked up the gumption to get back to it but uh everybody that i have talked to that has watched that version says this is the one to watch what else did you watch that's it for me sean uh did i watch anything this week we watched rise of the guardians for easter because we watch rise of the guardians every easter because it's an easter movie not a christmas movie as some people <laughs> mel would have you believe mm-hmm. It's an every holiday movie. You go That's true. Every too. holiday. But it is set on Easter. So, you know, there's that. And then um, our, our, our Friday night group, we got together and watched a, a, a kind of a bizarre one called He Never Died. And this is, a, this is an older one from like 2015. But it's got Henry Rollins. And he's um, a very stoic, noncommittal, <laughs> almost boring individual. Um uh, until um, you realize that he's some sort of immortal, either vampire, cannibal, uh, you know, possibly angel. They, they they finally get around to revealing at the end of the movie what's going on, which I thought was kind of a cool take on it. Um, it's another one of those, you know, kind of hyper-violent things. Because if you're going to have Henry Rollins in a movie, he's got to punch somebody in the face at one point. But... <laughs> It was uh, it was actually pretty good. It was a lot of fun. Other than that, we didn't do much. Mm. Had an Easter egg hunt with the kids. 
well, with the kid. <laughs> we went to, you, we went and saw uh, Super Mario Brothers the movie. Oh, how, how is, is it? it? It's really good. It's it's a lot of fun. It um, pretty much just feel filled with uh, you know Super Mario lore or connections to the to the video game universe. Uh, a lot of in game fun little Easter eggs and connections and things like that. I think Mason got more out of it than I did even because you know, he's really involved in the Mario games. But um, no, it's fun. I think uh, I agree with a lot of people that I think they kind of played it safe with the pop plot, but that doesn't hurt it at all. It's it's a, a lot of what you expect, but it's just so much fun and, and comical. And Jack Black as Bowser is terrific. Absolutely loved that. And be sure to stick around for the... There are two after credit season there's one mid credit one after credit so be sure to stick around for those now the sixty four thousand dollar question did they have a de-evolution gun no no there was no de-evolution gun uh, i don't know if i'm interested <laughs> well not for this this episode or this uh, yeah this <laughs> installment um and then we watched uh sean was grateful enough to get a hold of a copy of the wizard for us with uh, fred savage and i forgot I, I, I had never seen it but i didn't realize that christian slater is in it as well. So, and Bo Bridges is the dad. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It's it's very dated. It's very of its time. I think Fred Savage is a bit over the <laughs> over the top um, as far as his forceful acting goes. But uh, yeah, it was it's it's a fun little movie, and we both en- we both enjoyed it. But I'm not sure it was a, a need to watch. It was one of those things that. Mason wanted to see it because it's the it was the movie that everybody got their first look at Super Mario Brothers three because it hadn't even been re- released, so he thought that was kind of cool. It was more of a history history thing for him, but and of course it's the movie that um, shows the Power Glove working much much better than the Power Glove ever worked in real life. <laughs> Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. All right, well... Um, Keith, I understand you, uh, have been, uh, playing a game this week. Yeah, uh, just this week they released a game on the Apple Arcade called Doctor Who and Unlikely Heist. So I'm going to give you my something new two-minute review. So this is, a, an app game that is... Uh, uh, search and find essentially it's like uh, the list of it's like the 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 picture searches in highlights magazines except it's digital and you are helping the doctor try to gather up 
paradox energy because this giant cloud has descended all over London and there's weird things happening. So you do these missions to search for items in levels in order to gain the energy in order to complete events. So it's kind of a cycle of you get paradox dust, you complete tasks, and then you search for hidden objects in order to get the paradise dust to complete tasks. So it's kind of a, a nice circle that you, you uh, complete there. Uh, the graphics, I think, are really well done. It looks nice. There's some nice static animations. It kind of has the aesthetic look to it like a lot of these hidden search and find games i had played the harry potter one once upon a time and visu visually when you get to the actual scenes that you're searching it looks very much the same except for occasionally there's some doctor who things in that you're trying to find um overall it's it's okay if you like the kind of uh hidden object sort of games you'll probably really like it I got a free trial to Apple Arcade, and this is not enough to keep me playing it. So I will probably not continue it after my free trial is done. But for the most part, it's a nice little fun game. It's better than having no Doctor Who game at all. Now we have two. So go. that's my two-minute review in under two minutes. You were under two minutes. That was pretty impressive. Um, There's yeah. not a lot to really say about the game, <laughs> no, honestly. No, you're 100% right. I, and I actually downloaded it and, well, got Apple Arcade and, and was playing it myself. And I agree with everything you say. The graphics are superb. The um, the interface is really nice. I, I, I feel like it gets a little redundant. I'm not a huge fan of the Seek and Find games. Um, and luckily, it, it has been opening up new, uh, you know, uh, areas to, to find things. But you're you revisit the same, you know, the shop, the subway or not subway, what they call it underground, the gift shop. You re, re, you repeat them so often that I'm like, okay, at least the stuff isn't in the same spot. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But I, to me, it's just and, a little too redundant to stay with it. And as you get further on, they will throw in various versions like a mirror level where it's flipped, mm -hmm. which yep, isn't yep. any harder no, than the no. silhouette version. The silhouette one, or... I think, I find is the hardest because sometimes yeah. the object does not look like what the object is. I do have to say there is one more feature that you get to do further on is eventually you unlock different parts of the TARDIS mm. so you can customize the console room. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in episode three. Okay. So. Well, I just finished episode three, so I'm not too far ahead of you. Yeah. You also can collect souvenirs and make a collection, which one mm -hmm. is a Dalek, and mm -hmm. combining that does not seem like a good idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> I put it. I put it together. I got all the pieces and put it together. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 13, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. All right, well, I don't think there was anything in the news that we haven't already talked about. So I guess, uh, we did we talk about last week that there's a rumor that Stephen Moffat might be coming back to write one of the episodes? I suppose that's probably why we 
skipped over it because it's still kind of in the rumor zone. Well, I had seen last week that the there's a chance that Moffat might come back and write a couple of episodes. So hmm. I had not heard that. At the very least, I think what I had heard is that uh, RTD had reached out. Mm, mm. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's. I don't know if that's the same, but uh... could be. All right, well, let's uh, jump into our reviews then. This week, we are tackling the Iron Legion, the comic, as well as the comic strip adaptations, Doctor Who and the Iron Legion, which is a big Finnish audio drama. And we're going to, as Sean eloquently said last week, compare and contrast both of these stories and and say what we think. And I think maybe since... uh, we should go chronological since the Iron Legion actually came out in the 1970s and um, the uh, audio came out just a few years ago. So, <laughs> Well, I only have one synopsis. Oh, you so just, just read the one. It's 1979 AD, led by the terrible General Ironicus, the mighty Iron Legion, robot veterans of the Eternal War, have come, seen, and conquered the English village of Stockbridge. Caught up in the mayhem, the Doctor pursues the, the Legion excuse me, back through the Great Dimension Duct to their place of origin, an alternative Earth where Rome never fell. But can he survive the horrors of gladiatorial hype arena long enough to uncover the terrifying secret at the heart of the galactic Roman empire. Bum, bum, bum. Mm, me too. Me too. This is one of my all time favorite doctor who media. I read the iron Legion long, long time ago. I think I got it in one of the early Panini collections that they released. In fact, I think it was the black and white one that they reprinted the original uh, strips in. And so the first time I read it was black and white. I think I actually saw an issue because these released here in the States as uh, Doctor Who comics. And I think I remember seeing an issue a long time ago, but I didn't own it. It must have been somebody that I knew that owned it. And I remember flipping through it then, so I had actually, and that was colorized in that. But I've read this probably half a dozen times because I really, really enjoy this story. It's so much fun. Um, David Gibbons' art is, I think, what makes it the best. The story's good, but I just, it, the crisp, clean artwork, and especially the collection that we're reading with the colorization, which obviously he didn't have anything to do with the coloring, but... Um, with the colorization is just the stark contrasts in the images is incredible. The guy, the, the guy's a masterful artist. Of course he's done more than just Dr. Who he's got a, a number of things out there, but I really, really love the, the artwork in this. Um, I'll be honest. The first time that I actually first several times I read this and it wasn't until this time that I really kind of, maybe it was the audio that drilled this home to me. I didn't realize, I thought that the doctor had already landed in an alternate earth at the beginning when they're attacking the village and it didn't occur to me. And here's why I'm bringing this up. It didn't occur to me that they, after the attack that they take the dimensional, um, what's called dimensional dimensional duct duct. or something like that. They take I didn't realize they take the dimensional duct back to the, that's when they go to the alternate earth. And so I thought originally this was all uh, alternate earth and so when the doctor just hops in the TARDIS and takes off at the end, I thought, 
well, wait a minute. This is kind of unresolved because we have this alternate earth here now. <laughs> and he te technically is still in this. And so I, was, I couldn't figure out why, but it wasn't until even listening to the audio that I realized, oh, wait a minute. They attack our reality and take those hostages back to the alternate earth. And, and that the dimension duct is relatively new. And so it wasn't until this that I kind of went, oh, okay, I feel better that the doctor just kind of left at the end because he was actually going back to the dimension that wasn't affected by this, that didn't have the alternate realm. So, but Yeah, and just after we had our discussion about how, uh, you know, alternate dimensions seem like a no-no in Doctor Who, here I am proven <laughs> They're wrong. all over the place. Well, I, <laughs> even, all over I think place. I even said that. I said, I think they're more frequent than you think. Um, Although uh, admittedly comic, you know, except for media. <laughs> Uh, I, I really enjoy the characters of Morris and Vesuvius. I think they're 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 great. Morris, such a just that immediate taking to the Doctor because you know he everybody he's ever come across of is scared of him or think he's ugly, and the Doctor just treats him like another individual, which obviously the Doctor is going to do. But it just you can feel the kind of the joy that Morris gets from that. That wait, you don't you you need you're friendly to me. You don't you're not frightened by me or think I'm ugly? No, not at all. So I, I think that's really kind of endearing. And, and Morris becomes really kind of when he meets his demise, I you almost really feel for the guy because it's like, oh, wow, this, I really fell in love with this character. Uh, Vesuvius, the, you know, the world's oldest robot ever running on oil and, and gushing if his head isn't lit. Such a great character, such an original, unique character and works and really- such a Doctor Who thing. Yeah. And works really yeah. well for- a story that is set in an alternate timeline that to earth and that, that Rome, you know, conquered. And perhaps this is the, you know, the direction that things would have happened. It doesn't, it isn't a mere copy of earth. It's actually got these different, really cool, um, you know, unique differences that I think that Vesuvius is a very good example of that. Um, and, and even coming from what they called, I think old Rome is what they called it too, because, uh, you get the impression that the gods, the uh, the malevolous, 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 uh, whatever, the, the bad guys, the aliens, I get the impression they came more recently, and maybe I got this more from the audio, they came more recently because the emperor is only, in the comic, appears to be only five or six, maybe seven, seven or eight years old. And so presumably they came very shortly before that, because the father is killed and the mother, well, the mother's killed too and, and taken over by the one alien and raises the, the kid. And so it still implies that Rome still conquered in this alternate universe even prior to these um, aliens coming along. And so it's really kind of cool that there is this idea that there are these old robots and then there's these new robots, which presumably were sort of, um, I think manufactured or created after these, these aliens come to this, uh, to this dimension or to this, this time. And then, uh, the, the brute, uh, what are they called? The beast, beast, bestialis, the bestialis, um, also, you know, originating from the old times. So, Clearly there was some, there was already some diversion in this history. So it wasn't the aliens. The aliens are just taking advantage in this particular dimension at this time. So anyway, I'm, I'm gushing all over this book. You guys talk. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Glenn. Um, as, especially as far as the comic goes, it's it's your quintessential late seventies comic. It, it hits all those boxes. So if you're if you're not a big fan of that sort of thing, you're not going to like it very much. But I thought it it moves at a fast pace, faster than most comics because there are less pages. It seems. Um, but the ideas that you know Rome never fell and became this giant empire that has gone out and conquered the universe and now they have to go conquer an alternate dimension to continue their bloodlust is is pretty cool uh the iron legion being robots that are off attacking obviously shows some more of that divergence of what's happened and i i agree with what you said i like morris and i like vesuvius especially the design of vesuvius i thought that was really well thought out of what he would look like compared to everybody else the enemies are kind of okay, whatever, hiding in the background, doing their thing, and and yeah, it it didn't give quite a lot of clear. The comic glosses over a lot of stuff that I think the audio digs deep in on and does a good job of fleshing it out further. Mm. Yeah, the uh, I, I'm kind of with Glenn. I picked up and looked at this comic numerous times. Um, and I think we would relate at least some of the story that many, many years ago at a Planet Comic Con, um, there was a vendor that had the very nice hardback <laughs> collected edition from IDW of the Dave Gibbons Doctor Who collection. And it's a, I don't know, $60 set or something. And I was him and haw and he says, well, I'll sell it to you for 40 bucks. I was like, okay, done. I mean, that was, you know, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have paid 60, but you know, 40. Yeah, sure. Why not? And, um, bought it and I was so excited for us to delve into it and then we just kind of never did but I find myself drawn back to it over and over and over again and I never actually read it I would just kind of pick it up and flip through it and the thing with Dave Gibbons art is it's it's just incredible how much is going on in each panel mm-hmm. um, which maybe I think is what Keith was alluding to with 70s comics um, yeah. cause it certainly seems like that's something that we used to have more of. Um, but his style in particular really seems to work for Dr. Who, um, because it's, it's kind of a junky universe. Um, in that, you know, again, every panel, it's not just, Oh, here's a computer. It's here's a wall of computer, you know, here, Here's not just a chariot. Here's a hangar full of chariots. I mean, he just kind of goes overboard on everything. Um, a lot of technical stuff, which I love. I love it. But his um, ability to capture facial features. I mean, Tom Baker looks like Tom Baker. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, it, it just across the board. And then again, the colorizing. Um, just knock, knock out gorgeous visuals in this comic. So that was a big draw to finally be able to get to read the thing. And, um, I agree with Keith that it, it moved. It was a quick pace story. Um, I was a little concerned that, you know, maybe I was breezing through it too fast. It's like, am I missing something? Do I need to slow down? But that's just, you know, for even with everything there is to look at, it just moves at a good clip. And it's a, uh, a wonderfully nutty, very doctor who tale. um, and, and and definitely has a bit of a 70s uh, sensibility about it. I mean, the reason that uh, Rome is conquering all these other Earths, oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? 
Which I don't think they really explained well enough in the comic either. I don't remember them there being a, a line about that in the comic. I remember that from the audio, mm-hmm. but not in the comic. I thought there was in the comic, but maybe you're right. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering it, and it's from the audio. But there's, I, I certainly remember a line dropped that you know we're running low on supplies, and that's why we're we're doing this. But um, yeah, the comic is is it's it's just masterful. I love everything about it and am now super, super, super jazzed because I can't wait to get into more of the Dave Gibbons collection and see what else he's got in store for us. The audio, I think, did a really nice job for the most part of fleshing things out and, uh, you know, giving us a few extra characters to root for. And, um, or root against, depending upon, uh, (laughs) depending on where you fell on that particular one. Um, and it was just irreverent enough that it didn't feel like, I have to be careful with how I'm praising this. It didn't feel like a quote unquote, real big finish story. Mm Hmm. Well, it, it felt like a comic bo- brought to life just yeah. yes, yeah, without yeah. the visuals, which I appreciated uh, from this yeah. because yeah. I think that's if you're going to do a comic adaptation and audio, you somehow there's a chance you could lose what makes the comic unique and have a certain quality, and somehow in this audio adaptation they did it. They did it in such a way that it has that quirkiness of the comic. And I was very impressed by that. I was a little worried because, as we talked about, this this story really kind of just paces along and does a really good job of, of getting to the action and getting and wrapping up really quick. Because, you know, Sean commented about how he felt like he was rushing through it. But... So when we got to when we when we finally realized that the audio was going to be two hours long, I thought, okay, how are we going to this? That feels like that's going to be too much padding to do that. And so I was a little concerned, but my I think my concerns then were, you know, kind of nullified because once I started listening to it, I felt like the audio paced long just as well as the comic does. Mm-hmm. And in fact, maybe even more so, but also embellishing some things and kind of, but while staying very true to the story and keeping almost all of the elements within the comics in the audio, they also expand upon it just enough to give it just a little bit more depth, um, giving us the uh, the more, more of the uh, one uh, alien taking over uh, the 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 emperor's mom um, having that flashback instance that Vesuvius uh, they access from his databanks, and then another thing that sort of annoyed me at first were Viv and Doug. At the very mm-hmm. beginning, I kind of because they're new, brand new characters. These are these are characters that were not in the comic. I think their alter egos, you could argue, were, but they were not in the comic, and so I. I wasn't quite sure. I, it, it was a little annoying because it's just kind of that there's a, a stereotypical and I almost want to pinpoint it to a the stereotypical British couple that is working class and very much a caricature of these two. And you'll or as see, I like to think of them as uh, alt-universe Donna. 
Yeah, but I think even more so, <laughs> I, I can't remember the character's name, but um, Hyacinth in um, Keeping Up Appearances. Her, Ons Oslo, uh, her her sister Daisy and Oslo, to me, that's these characters. Um, maybe a little younger, but that's these characters. And it seems that that's a very typical married couple in, in a lot of 70s and 80s sitcoms from, from the UK. But I, I've, I'm diverting. I felt that they, they were just a little bit annoying at first. But as this story plays out, I almost realized their value in them being there because there are a lot of visual things in the comic that would have taken the Doctor, Vesuvius, or Morris, or even... Um, oh, who's the the main bad guy, not the aliens, but the, uh, Ironicus. Ironicus. It might've taken more odd, like, uh, 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 narrative, uh, in order to describe some of the things that were happening, but they actually work as that kind of that passenger descriptor for us. And so they actually become a very important piece in order to convey a lot of the things that don't take away from the doctor his great lines and his dialogue that he's getting in this, that a lot of this is ripped straight from the pages of the, the comic, but it doesn't take away from his dialogue. It doesn't take away from any of the characters, but it kind of paints that picture. They, through their discussions kind of show us everything else that you're not able to see in this story. And so they work really great. And then especially to the conclusion, because I kind of feel like having them, they're, they they do a much better job in the audio of the, just all around. They do a much better job of um, rising the revolution, you know, bringing the revolution up, convincing the, mm. the, the people to, to, to turn. And I think it works better in the audio than it does even in the comic, because in the comic, it seemed a little rushed. It seemed a little quick that the, that the, the citizens are ready to revolt. And I, I was I was fine with it. It was it was okay. I accepted it because it, it was in comic form. But in the audio, I think it made they made it work even better. And those two are very instrumental in that because once they realize that they have alternates in this universe, that they take advantage of the positions that their alternates have in order to advance the plan to, uh, you know, for the revolution. And so that was very clever. And I was really glad in hindsight after that, that these two annoying characters ended up, you know, being tag alongs for this whole story. They also helped drive home the alternate dimension aspect of it. Cause they're obviously not from this dimension. They don't know what's going on. So as you pointed out, they help give us the descriptions that we need to know kind of what we're seeing but also remind us that this is an alternate dimension the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, so that, I think that's, that's probably exactly what made me realize that, Oh, wait a minute. It starts out on regular earth, but then goes to alternate earth. Yeah, it probably does. I thought they did a fantastic job. It felt like the comic come to life or at least the, the con the audio matched the visuals mm -hmm. of what you would have if the comic was brought to life. It had that irreverent comic feel to it that didn't take itself too serious and didn't feel like a regular big finish story, and it felt even more so like it was out of the taken out of the seventies. Well, even down uh, to the music choices that mm, Big Finish yeah. used, it was a little. Uh, yeah, I, I've accused them of overproducing things at times, 
And I was a little concerned uh, having just come off the comic. It was like, okay, let's dip into this now and see, you know, what they're going to do to it. Um, because it, it, it certainly seems like it could have been the opportunity for Big Finish to go, hey, you remember that story that you all loved? Here it is for real. Um, and, and they didn't do it that way. They just kind of did it as if this, you know, if they were a company in the 70s adapting comics uh, for Doctor Who, this is what it would have been like, you know, <laughs> treated it like an episode. Um, and it really managed to keep the... The, the sensibility or the flavor of the comic alive, um, which I really appreciated because of how much I enjoyed it. And um, everything else about it just, uh, you know, it managed to work. My only complaint with the audio is General Ironicless. In the comic, he comes across as... More imposing. More imposing. Mm -hmm. A little... Uh, he's definitely a religious zealot. Um, cause he's a true believer, but that's one of the things that makes him fearsome. Mm -hmm. And yes, we get goofy little, you may not talk to me because my light is on, uh, you know, moments in the comic as well, but he, he just, he has a little bit more page presence, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the choices they made in the audio with some of his vocal inflections, and then he, he kind of seemed almost befuddled. Uh, toward the end of it, and it kind of it kind of took a lot of his thunder away from him. I thought, but again, it, for keeping that comic book feel, I was fine with it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, you they describe him as a parrot head, but you don't see that constantly throughout it, like he you do during the comics. So I think mm -hmm. that for me, while he does have a a, a stronger presence in the comics. Every time I look at his face, I have a hard time taking him seriously because he looks like a screaming parrot. And I think they're making him more befuddled and calling him a parrot head more often and making more jokes out of him is their way to try to counteract that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. I Something you had said, Sean, that, that kind of really made me it kind of flashed back to something from my childhood. When I was a kid, we used to sometimes with, with comics, you would get the flexi discs and, or magazines, even you get these flexi discs. And this really sort of feels like, I don't, I don't know how to put my finger on what about it. It does, but it sort of feels like these stories they used to tell in these flexi discs that were almost, you know, that would have our, you know, our favorite characters like Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk and, and it, it they it almost has a quality of those old seventies flexi discs, the the stories that you used to get on those. And I'm I'm almost wondering if they somehow tapped into those in their in the psyche in order for them to make it feel like a nineteen seventies comic book. I wonder if they somehow were able to utilize that styling that they did because now something clicked and it, it and I remember that the, that's what this feels like is these old, you know, flexi if listeners may be too young 
back in the day when we had record players, a flexi disc was a record. Basically, it was really super flimsy, but it was plastic and had grooves on it. And you often tore it from the pages of the comic. It would be, you know, sandwiched in between a few pages and you could literally put it on your turntable and put the needle on it. And it was a record for all intents and purposes. It was a square record, but it was a record for all intents and purposes. So and I used to love getting those with comics and magazines and things like that. In fact, I wish I still had all my flexi discs as I was I, not even thinking about it. I used to be quite, not on purpose, a collector of flexi discs. I had several flexi discs. But anyway, that's what this reminds me of. And I think they kind of nailed that feel or that production that they did in this. I'll do one more is um, the old book and record set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same, same um, concept. Of which, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of which I had uh, numerous uh, Star Trek ones um, and loved them. Mm-hmm. And listen to them over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, just, you know, nonstop. And this kind of, it's done so well in such a manner that you very easily could break the comic out and read along mm-hmm. with the audio and not feel like you were twiddling your thumbs too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have those uh, annoying beeps to turn the page, but. <laughs> I always found those comforting. <laughs> It meant I was making progress in the story. You know? <laughs> it was it was like a reward, you know. Now turn the page. Ding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned late today that um, there is a um, uh, archive in the a, a adversary. No, a, a companion archive in the making, and maybe adversary according to this. Um, there is a, a fan magazine that's published, I think, yearly, or if not by month or by by yearly called Vorp, Vorp, and in magazine volume number five that just released, I think, last month, there is a epic 22-page Iron Empire comic written by Lance Parkin and drawn by Steve Andrew, and the synopsis is, What happened to the Empire during the reign of Emperor Vesuvius? Find out in this much-anticipated sequel to the Mills Wagner great that launched Doctor Who Weekly. Ooh. So and I have I've put some clips here if you can see it in Discord, or not some clips but a picture of the of a splash page there, and it's with the twelfth Doctor, and nice. if you look, it's very much in the same art style as David Gibbons. They've they've really mm-hmm. nailed it in what what they've presented here. So um, I'm going to see if I can run some copies down, and we'll uh, maybe we'll add that to the schedule later in the year or, or beyond. So this totally story, that'd be a fun one to yeah, come back the to. The story doesn't end here with Vesuvius. <laughs> you were invited on an adventure across all of time and space in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Kheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle. The Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? 
For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Rusbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With popular features like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, we have a lot of fun. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Network podcast. All right, Will. Let's, uh, I guess, take a look at what we got coming up on the schedule. Well, coming up next on the schedule, we step back into the Time War with The War Doctor Begins 4, He Who Fights with Monsters. Uh, And we will do all of the stories in that particular box set. Then we will step away from the Time War in order to uh, do a a little more Season 6B. And we've got uh, a couple of audio dramas for you from Big Finish, The Final Beginning and Wrath of the Ice Warriors. And then a Target storybook with a short story called Save Yourself. And then back to the Time War for uh, some more action, but this time coming to you from Gallifrey. We will do Gallifrey Time War 3 as we continue Act 3 of that. So there'll be four stories in that one. And then back to the comics, unless we uh, insert uh, <laughs> this uh, other comic in here, maybe do it as part of the same one. Uh, we'll be doing City of the Damned. And that is sandwiched between um, the story that we just reviewed and Starbeast, which, uh, as we've said in the past, we're working towards Starbeast because that will be the story that introduces Beep the Meep who is set to appear in the 60th anniversary special. (laughs) Deep cut. Deep cut. Lots of, lots of fun things. We want to make sure we're prepared before we get there. All right. You can find all of this at uh, travelingthevortex.com. If you get any value out of the podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on our Patreon link and consider supporting us. And when you do become a patron of this podcast, you unlock more audios and specials from us, including a very soon to be there um start another star trek primer and this one is this is more ds9 right because you finished tng last month and so this will be no this one would finish TNG. oh this one finishes tng okay well i edit these so i get to see them or listen to them before <laughs> everybody else so <laughs> this one finishes tng and then then you'll go back to ds9 right and then i will go back to ds you had yes. started ds9 because of the overlap in those particular seasons of those uh, yes yeah I was, then, I was doing the seasons chronologically as opposed to show. <laughs> and so that's coming soon. And then uh, uh, later on this month, we will have another great Traveling the Vortex uh, trivia quiz. So you get your pens and pencils ready for that one. Uh, also, please consider giving us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to this podcast. It helps us bump us up in the ratings and recommendations. Anything else we need to talk about before we close this episode? I'm going to tell you for everybody who who's uh, playing along and enjoying the, the the trivia shows, you better have your thinking caps on for this one. <laughs> There's some challenging questions in this. There, there, there were there were I didn't know some of them, and I had the answer sheet, so <laughs> <laughs> wow. I will just throw that out there. A clever guy must have put those questions together. I know. <laughs> even, even even though he got one of them wrong, and I had to correct on the yeah, fly. I was, <laughs> <laughs> a little embarrassed by that. <laughs> I'm glad you did correct it, though. <laughs> of course, now we're airing the, <laughs> the issue now, so I, I look bad either way. Um, <laughs> better me than you, though. Uh, <laughs> if that's going to do it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I think we lost Keith. Well, he's Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. And he would say, be seeing you. 
And then because it's his turn, he would say, thanks for listening. (laughs) You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.